Welcome to the All In Your Head podcast, where we get all in your head. We are a mental health podcast focused on anything and everything mental health. We will have special guests ranging from mental health experts, mental health advocates, and just everyday people with real struggles. We will share laughs, we will share cries, but most importantly, we will have real conversations about mental health. So with that being said, let's get all in your head. Woohoo! You know, I love the title of your book and it talks about overcoming adversity, right? Like that's a part of your title. And so that tells me that you've had some adversity. Definitely have. It's an amazing story. Well, let's get into it. Let's hear let's hear your amazing story. So what happened? So I had done all the things in life, checked off all the boxes, was living the life of my dreams. I've yeah. become an executive. I was married. I had children. I had everything going for me. And I decided there was time for me to do something bigger. And I was training for a marathon. I was training for a marathon for a very propelling purpose. One of those things that the reason you're doing it is enough to get you out of bed and go do it. But we'll talk about that piece another day. Okay. I'm training for the marathon. I went for a run. I went for a run while my family was on vacation and I ran around this beautiful lake. I'm running around this beautiful lake. And off to my right and my um, side, I hear this sonic boom, this sonic sound that just reverberated the ground underneath my feet. Yeah. And I turned to look and immediately I was knocked to the ground. I was hit by a falling tree. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. Actually, it was kind of funny. And I can't say funny as in ha ha, but funny right. as in odd. When we hit the trauma center, my husband was told that it happens all the time. Really? People just don't live to tell the story. So you never hear about it. So they're like, look at the ground. And I'm saying this to all your listeners right now too. Look on the ground, look at the trees and the rocks that are on the ground. You see them all over the place. They don't just fall in the dark at night when no one's around. So people do actually get hit and harmed by trees quite regularly. They just don't tend to survive. Woohoo! Have you been wanting to write a book, but you don't know where to get started? Don't let this fear stop you. There is help. Yellow Studios Book Publishing has helped over 200 people become self-published authors. Veronica Yeager has over 15 years of experience in publishing and design and wants to offer my listeners a free guide, Self-Publishing the Right Way. Get this free resource at www.selfpublishingfreeguide.com. So I ended up with this massive, massive injury. When you get hit by a tree, or at least when I did, it compacted my spine, damaged my low back because where you have friction and pressure, it's going to blow out somewhere. And mine came out my low back. But I also ended up with what was called a coup contra coup brainstem injury. And for all of us who are not medical people, what that really means is I messed up everything inside my head. And wow. I was left with the functioning of a three year old child wow. at the age of 40. Wow. So I went from having everything to not being able to walk or talk or feed myself and everything else in between. And that is what the story of standing strong, the real life story of overcoming adversity and becoming unstoppable in life and business is all about. And that's why I said, it's an amazing story because you've never heard this story before. Yeah, definitely. I've never heard this before. So what was that like for you to, to be physically healthy, to be running and then all of a sudden for that to be interrupted. At first, I had no idea what was going on around me. I literally had no idea what was going on around me. I couldn't process thoughts. Mm -hmm. I couldn't put words together. So in the beginning, it was 
surreal. It was scary. And so people ask me all the time, what can you best describe it as? And I can best describe it as having no awareness of anything around you. I lost my, my memories. So many of my memories. Now many have come back and I'm going to put a spoiler alert out there for you. I do not function like a young child anymore. I may act like one sometimes, (laughs) but I don't function like one any longer, but my memories were gone, just eradicated. I could remember my mom and my dad. I could remember my two children could remember Mm -hmm. my husband. I could not remember my sister and brother. I just stared at them. Like I could not put that together. And I couldn't remember my dog. I had my dog for 14 years and I couldn't remember her name at all. So you're just in a state of complete loss. You don't know you anymore. And you have to refine yourself and relearn everything that you've learned the last 40 years of your life. Now, thankfully, the way our brains are wired, a lot of the memories actually had new neuroplasticity and I was Mm. able to reconnect some of those thoughts, but I really had to start all over again. And I got to then experience life in an adult body with the functioning of a child. And that was the most miraculous experience and experiment I've ever done in my life. So what was that like? You're, you're describing something that I can't even imagine. So what, what was that like? So let's take a, a specific example. I think will help you and your listeners understand it much better. So if I were to be walking into a room full of adults, I would be observing just as we are having this conversation right now, but I couldn't put the words together and the thoughts together. There were people that would just continue to talk, tell jokes, and yeah. laugh, and everything was going on. And I couldn't make any of it make sense. It was like I was watching people talk in foreign language that I have no idea what they're saying and no idea what they mean, but they all think I understand because again, I'm in an adult body. Yeah. So watching it was astonishing, but it also, so my background is in organization and human behavior. Mm. So this though was the most amazing, amazing experience of watching human behavior because I did it without any predispositions. Mm -hmm. I watched people and interestingly enough, and I I think this is going to probably surprise you because it shocks me still to this day, people I had known forever, when I became more vulnerable they became tremendously vulnerable too, mm-hmm. even though they had not been vulnerable people before. Yeah, that's really interesting. So they let down their guard when somebody's guard around them was down. What did you learn from that? Oh my goodness. What did I learn? I learned, actually, there are six sets of lessons in the book that I learned. I'm mm-hmm. going to go through a couple of them with you. One of the things I learned is that we are, as adults, our absolute own worst critic ever. Mm. I got to listen to all the words people say, and now mind you, I'm trying to understand why you're saying these things, why you're doing these things. There's the old saying, I don't, I'm sure many of your listeners have heard this. I'm sure you have too. You know, the old saying of 
beating a dead horse. When you've said something over and over and over, I one day literally was looking around on the ground for this horse because they're beating a dead horse. (laughs) So you learn all of this stuff over and over and you observe. And I think one of the things I learned is that our number one word is adult. The number one word that I heard, you know, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to ask you, what do you think was the number one word I heard out of everybody's mouth while I was going through this healing process? Mm, I'm sorry. That's my guess. No, sorry, wasn't it? It's a great guess because I did hear it a lot. The word was can't. Mm. I can't do, I can't do, I can't do. Mm. It was astonishing to me how often and repetitive that word was used. Our lack of belief in ourselves is tremendous. It was tremendous. The ability to take a step forward. I I would have people say things like, I can't do this. And I would look at them and I'm pulling out memories and trying my best to reconnect things. And I'm like, but didn't you now, mind you, this is after I started getting better yeah, and yeah. I'd be, but didn't you, why can't you? And I'm so confused because yeah. if I know you have, why are you saying you can't? And then I would be very childlike yeah. and say to you, so if you did, why can't you now? And I just, as a child would blurt it <laughs> out because yeah. I had, again, the cognitive ability of a child. So I asked those questions. And I just kept digging deeper and deeper into this. And I found unbelievably that the majority of people that use the word can't, which again, is most of us had no idea they were using it. Part of what you're talking about is just simplifying. Like I think your brain just was in a place where it just made things very simple and, Mm -hmm. and maybe even black and white and your brain was rewired at a certain point to think about things in a simple way. It was, and to be fair, it started making it much more complex as I got better. Mm. So I started layering complexity back in and I was, and I actually had to pause myself and stop myself and retrain myself to hold on to that simplicity Mm. because we all had it at some point growing up and we let it go, but I was more aware of it because it happened. My, what came back to me came back much quicker than your childhood growing into your twenties, thirties, et cetera. What happened to me is it came back in over a period of just a few years. So I noticed the change in that simplistic view, that simplicity, Mm. the ability to break it down into manageable steps, to be able to do things that would in in increments that propelled me forward. And I started to lose it. And I was like, I don't want to lose that. So I was able to find a way to actually hold on to that myself. And today I'm a consummate problem solver because I can take a step back and simplify, simplify, simplify. Yeah. That's why I do most of the work I do with businesses today, because I can simplify what they're overcomplicating. <laughs> and so it is definitely a gift that came from what I would consider to be a tragic situation. It makes me think that maybe we need to start looking at hiring some eight and nine-year-olds uh, for mm-hmm. some of our businesses. <laughs> yes, you so really some, do. Some, some eight and nine-year-old consultants. Yes. Or people who've actually been eight or nine-year-olds again in their 40s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I think it might be easier to find actual eight and nine-year-olds. <laughs> it might. It just might. Actually, I know it probably is. <laughs> yeah. So 
what else did you learn from that experience? So I learned that what I had done. So again, having been a performance expert and all the other fun stuff, I learned that what I was doing before was wrong. Hmm. And it was quite shocking to me. And here's what it was. Cause I always believed, always believed that your vision had to be gigantic. Hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. I always believed that, you know, I, as the venerable Jedi used to say, <laughs> do or do not, there is no try. No. So it was success or failure. And it was a huge vision. And what mm-hmm. I realized coming out of this process myself was that it's not always plausible, feasible, or even appropriate to have the giant vision because Mm -hmm. that giant vision was too big for me to even engage in. The giant vision for me literally was what I considered to be a tiny task that had a bigger goal, but I couldn't do a giant vision. It was too big of a chasm to cross from where I was going. And so I realized at that point that vision doesn't have to be gigantic to get you to where you want to be. But throughout my corporate career, everything was big casting vision, big casting vision, cast bigger, mm-hmm. go bigger, mm-hmm. you know, the big, yeah. hairy, audacious goal, yeah, do all yeah. of this. And what I realized was I move faster when I could break it down into tiny increments that I made then momentum. I knew where I was going, but to take that you know, if I were to say this out loud, oh my gosh, I am going to be an executive again. When I can't put food on a spoon and put it in my mouth, (laughs) that's too wide of a chasm to cross. But you know what? Once I started healing and I decided that I wanted to cook something, there was a long time I was not allowed in the kitchen because (laughs) I would, with memory loss, you had with, especially traumatic brain injury, you forget obvious things like don't pick up a pan that's hot. Yeah. Don't turn on a stove and forget to put stuff in a pan. You forget basic things. They're not there. So for a long time, I couldn't go to the kitchen, but when I was able to actually be released to cook, I know some of us never want to cook again. You have no idea how bad I wanted to cook. (laughs) Right. But when I was released to cook, my vision was to get to the kitchen to make a sandwich or get to the kitchen to cook something instead of my vision was to go back to work in corporate America and become an executive again. I had to have smaller visions that I could celebrate along the way. So they weren't goals. They weren't goals because the goal underneath that vision I had of getting to the kitchen, that that was an eight hour process or a two day process. Sometimes, sometimes it took me a week to be able to get to the kitchen and be able to do it. So then I had a goal underneath it of standing up and walking that far. And then getting out the bread or getting out the whatever and putting it together. There were so many other micro goals inside of it. So basically realizing that it doesn't have to be as big as we all think it has to be for it to be effective, impactful, and truly life-changing. That was the biggest aha for me. You hear a lot in the business world, you know, begin with the end in mind. And also talking about these big, kind of what you're talking about, these big, hairy, audacious goals and I think that's good, right? It's good to have those big goals and something to work towards. But I like what you're saying too about breaking it down, having smaller goals, being able to celebrate some of those smaller victories as well. I think I think that can help a lot of people. I think that can help a lot of companies. You know, I think that when you do it incrementally, it also allows something else 
I, I said the other thing was the do or do not. There is no try. Mm -hmm. It allows you to try and pivot much more easily. Mm -hmm. So one of the exercises I had to do was I had to take these this little cup, little plastic cup with little plastic peas and a little pair of plastic tweezers. Actually, it was quite a big pair mm -hmm. of plastic tweezers. And I had to pick up the one pea and move it to the other cup because the right side and left side of my body didn't work together. I literally could not clap my hands. Okay. So mm -hmm. I had to pick up a pea from one cup, fine motor skills training, right? Pick up a pea from one cup, move it to another cup and put it back down. And I did this over and over and over and over again. Those micro steps that you take and the do or do not, there is no try doesn't fit together. Because mm. when I'm doing something, if I don't succeed at it, my new thing became try, try again. And people who knew me were like, you don't even know the word try. Why are you even uttering the word try? And the answer was simple. I'm uttering the word try because it was an awakening and aha for me that failure wasn't fatal. Mm. Failure was feedback. Yeah. That's good. And, and so for me, I didn't know what was going to work for me. I didn't know if my, my index finger and my thumb would work together. I didn't know I had to try it to see. And that was feedback for me to do something different or adjust. So it was a whole adjustment period that was much more fluid and frankly, a lot less stressful than the do or do not a lot less stressful. So again, if, Companies have the mantra mm -hmm. or individuals have a mantra of failure is fatal. Failure is final. No, failure is just feedback. Yeah. And I learned that through a very hard life lesson. So borrow shamelessly from me without having to get hurt by a tree. Okay. <laughs> so did your whole theory and the way you view life change after getting hit by a tree? Um, I won't say the whole. Yeah. But a large part of me is very different. Yes. One of the things I did, I want every one of your listeners to do this. And I still do this to today. It's been 15 years. I just, my book released on the 15th anniversary of the accident. Mm. So 15 years into it, the last surgeries were 10 years ago. I'm sorry, were five years ago. So all the healing that's gone on, I went back and became an executive. Again, I'm working with businesses. Mm -hmm. I work with individuals, all that fun stuff. But here's the thing to this day, I still do this as I was healing. I would be outside or I would be somewhere and the sun would start to set. And I would start saying things, childlike things. Mm -hmm. Look at the pink, look at the blue, look at the yellow, look, look, look. And it was constant energy of, Oh my gosh, everybody needs to stop and see this. Mm -hmm. And nobody stopped to look. Everybody was busy. Mm. They were they were tending to this thing or doing that thing or on the phone with this or doing that. No one looked. Even to this day, this very moment, I still, when the sun starts to set at night or it rises in the morning, I don't care who I'm with or where I am. I start doing, oh my gosh, look at the yellow, look at the orange, look at the pink. Oh my gosh, stop, look. And I didn't. I was the person on the other side before that was too busy to do those things. So yes, I, I pressed a pause button yeah. and I reprioritized my life and I still was able to do actually everything I wanted and more 
but I got to add in the things that bring me joy, that bring me happiness, that are peaceful. And I don't run at a cadence of, frankly, obnoxious levels like mm-hmm. I used to. So yes, my life is very different. I set boundaries that I never set before because I didn't realize I needed them until I stopped. I think about myself as a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old. Life was pretty simple. Mm-hmm. You were able to enjoy the little things, right? My six-year-old, uh, he actually turned six today. And so we woke up today and we gave him presents and just seeing that joy in his eyes and his face about these, he got a Titanic t-shirt because he loves the Titanic, you oh, know, and cool. he had the coolest reaction ever. Like he was so joyful about this t-shirt. Right. And I feel like at some point we lose that. And I don't know why and when, but we lose that. And I think about that specifically around the holidays too, because there's a lot of things around the holidays that kids get into and are excited about and, you lose some of that too. And it just, it's sad. It's sad that we lose that. You know what? Here's the reality of it though. And I want to, I just want you to try this on for a minute. Yeah. You don't have to, Yeah. you don't have to, because I, as I became more aware of my functioning and my functioning became, so in the very beginning, I had no idea how bad I was. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I knew I wasn't good, but I had no idea how bad I was. And in fact, when I watch videos of me from back then, it still shocks me to see it. But as I got better, I was much more aware of the fact that I was losing that. I was losing that wonder again. I was getting caught Mm -hmm. back up in the busyness of life. And I was doing all that. And I decided to not lose it. I decided to make those things a priority. And remember what we see is what we see. So I held on to that as tight as I possibly could. And it's still with me today. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. I have a 25-year-old son and a 26-year-old daughter. Santa doesn't visit 25-year-olds and 26-year-olds. Santa doesn't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. So for your listeners, I want to be clear. Santa doesn't come to adults. But I will put on boots, step in flour and put flour throughout flower footprints throughout my house for Christmas Mm -hmm. because I refuse to let go (laughs) of Santa being at my house just because I don't have kids here. So we can choose to continue to have childlike wonder if we want it. And simplicity is the biggest gift you can give yourself. And that comes with that childlike wonder giving us some gold nuggets here this is this is really great i appreciate you doing this oh my you know, goodness i am so happy to be here I, i'm on a mission i'll be very blunt yeah. i am on a mission to inspire one million people to become unstoppable at becoming what's possible in their life and it's around simplicity like i that's blowing my mind you know because i i talked to a lot of business coaches and who had different theories and different things like the different ways that they do their business and most of it's not around simplicity. I'll tell you that no. right now, right? No, it's almost the opposite. Not. Like it's like this, the secret code, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they're helping you to crack this code and yours is almost the opposite, right? And and it's successful, right? Yeah. It's successful. I, I'm you know, just literally yesterday finished a massive uh, contract with a company that when I walked in, it was so overly complex. And I mean, 
absurdly complex. No offense, I won't mention their name <laughs> on the podcast, but it was absurdly complex. Yeah. I stripped it down. It went back to the basics and made it so much more simplistic. And you know what happened? The employees threw a party, <laughs> literally threw a celebration themselves because they enjoyed the work again. So sometimes we can overcomplicate yeah. out of multiple reasons. But when you can go back to simplicity, that's when all the joy in life comes back. That's when the the reward comes back in life. And that's when people buy into a vision. They don't buy into complexity. They buy into something they can see and appreciate. And that's what we have to do for our teams. We need that so badly. But you know what? It starts by being less complex in our personal lives mm. before we can be it in our business. We make life very difficult on ourselves many times, right? We do it we to do. ourselves. We do. Yeah. And I think in the back part of my book, I think I started four or five of the life lessons that I put in it mm -hmm. with adults are so weird. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, once again, I'm saying adults are so confusing. Why are we doing this? So again, the, the, the whole impetus of it is, yes, you need to know where you're going. You need a plan. You need to yeah. know where you're going. You don't get in a car and you don't just drive and end up where you want. I say all the time, if you get in, a, if you don't have a vision, even a small vision, if you don't have a vision of where you're going, it's like pulling out some food in your refrigerator and hoping to make a meal that follows a recipe. It doesn't work. You yeah. don't end up with what you wanted. And then you have to have the right values assigned to that. So many times I see people, and this was something that was true with me. My values, and people will argue this with me. So I'm just putting this out there before you start getting hate mail. <laughs> people will argue that values don't change. They absolutely yeah, change. I agree. Your I values agree. absolutely yeah. change. Ask any parent what they value the week before they have a baby and the week after they have a mm -hmm. baby, and they will tell you different things. Yeah. Your values change. And mine completely changed after my accident. And I mean, completely. I was all about 1,000, 1,000% about aspiring in life. Mm -hmm. I was at the top of my game. I was an officer in a major corporation. I was aspiring, aspiring, aspiring. I could care less about aspiring. I could care less. To be fair, I did go back to become an executive again. Mm -hmm. And I realized I don't care about aspiring anymore. Mm -hmm. I switched my letters. I care about inspiring people. Mm. When you're worried about aspiring, you're worried about yourself. Mm -hmm. When you're worried about inspiring, you're worried about leaving a legacy that leaves this world a better place. Aspiring went out the window for me, but I, anybody who would have asked you my values, they would have said, she's all about aspiring. And I'm not in the least anymore. So your values change. You have to know where you're going. You've got to know your vision. You've got to know your values. And the, I'm going to tell you a little secret. The reason you need your values is because your values help you make decisions. Absolutely. If you don't know what you value, you don't know how to make yeah. a decision quickly. And we know that quick decision-making is key to so much in life. Yeah, no, I completely agree. In my work with people, we spend a lot of time at the beginning on values. And I need people to understand what it is that they value because most issues that I deal with as a therapist is when people 
have values and goals and their behavior and their thoughts are different and they compete with their values and goals. And then there's this big discrepancy in the middle that causes them stress, causes them depression, causes them anxiety. Yes. And they need to see that because a lot of times we just live, right? And we we have this behavior and these habits and they're contrary to our values and we don't really put a lot of thought into it. But when people do and they see that and they see this discrepancy and then they start to develop some ambivalence and say, hey, I don't feel good about this. That's when change happens. That's exactly it. That's the center of change right there at the ambivalence that sits in. So once you know your values, you need a plan. You need some plans. You need goals. You need to take some action. All of it on paper, knowing it all in your head doesn't do anything if you don't do something with it, right? And then I say the next piece of it is accountability. And for me, accountability is huge to what I attribute me getting back to where I am. And frankly, for my clients Mm. to get to where they are, because when stuff gets tough, we like to stop. When toughness is going to happen for me, accountability was I had occupational therapists asking me every day. And I knew that I wanted to get back to where I wanted to get back to. Was it easy? No, it was hard. It was unbelievably hard, but having that accountability really made a difference. After you have your accountability baked in, to your point of what you were saying, it's all about the thoughts that you have afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then the last component in the in the way I structure things is having the right aim. Because if you have a vision and you have your goals, you have everything lined up perfectly. None of it matters if you don't have the right aim. You're not going to hit those targets without mm-hmm. the right aim. And the aim for me is the attitude, the inspiration, and the motivation. And so I actually believe that those drive everything else. And, and I'm sure you're of the same mindset that your thoughts create your feelings, which mm-hmm. create your actions, which create your results. And we you know that. Sound like a therapist now. A T-bar, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is. It's how it works, but it's how yeah. it works in business too. What you think of in your business is what's going to drive everything else that you do. And that's the results you're going to get. And it's true for us as individuals. It's true in the therapeutic world. It's true. And sadly, when healing, most of the things I heard people thinking out loud, were not good. Yeah. They were not good. So I actually want to share a funny story with you, if I may. Yeah, Absolutely. It's a funny, odd story. Funny, odd, not, well, you may find it funny, (laughs) ha ha. But after my accident, there were foods that I adored. I am a emotional food person, right? Mm. You give me an old school vanilla ice cream cone and I'm sitting back on my granny's porch 55 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So, or 50 something years ago. So after my accident, I didn't remember what I liked or didn't like. I couldn't remember any foods. I had no long-term memories with them. So there was no emotion to them, right? So the the memory is what makes the emotion of the food. And so, you know, you give me an ice cream cone, I had nothing attached to it. It was totally different. Mm -hmm. So my family decided that they were going to, my husband and children were going to do the same thing for me that we did for our children and not bias us any way about food. So they didn't tell me what I liked or I didn't like at all. So they just gave me every food that was there that was prepared and let me sample it. 
So I'm from the Midwest, or I'm actually Southern, but raised in the Midwest. And in the Midwest, you can go pretty much anywhere and you will find ham with bean soup or bean with ham soup, depending on who you ask, how you say it. <laughs> and I literally would not stay in a house or stay in a kitchen that had bean with ham soup, which was pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. I would not spend any time in that room because I could not even stand the smell of that food. That food became one of my most loved foods. I order it all kinds of places and eat it constantly. Some of the foods I love the most were completely disgusting to me and I wouldn't eat them. That's really interesting. Preconceived notions mm. were knocked out of me. So everything that I had that I had preconceived was gone and I tried everything fresh and anew. So I have adopted a way of being and a way of thinking now that is different. Once something's put in front of me, I start by saying, what if I knew nothing of this? Mm -hmm. Let me experience it like I know nothing and I'll taste it then. Because when you ask yourself that, your brain answers you. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but as your brain, my brain was healing, my brain would fill in blanks and holes for me that was just bizarre. And I learned so much about neuroscience during this process or mm -hmm. afterwards as well, because I wanted to know what actually happened to me. Because when it's happening, you think you're just losing it. You really think that there's something just unexplainable happening to you. When you go to find out, um, no, it's pretty explainable. And there's lots of literature on this that goes with it yeah. in studies, et cetera. So I did a ton of research, but the, the brain itself, when you ask yourself, what will happen if I just experience this with, without any preconceived knowledge, preconceived notions, it lets you try it fresh and anew. And I think if we would go back and do that with friendships, relationships, mm -hmm. foods, yeah. music, people, thoughts, theories, everything, how much different would we be if we could actually do that and truly have an open mind about something? Such a good point. You're giving us some gold, Tina. This is this is some good stuff here. Well, and the best part of it is nobody has to get hit by a tree to <laughs> learn it all. <laughs> you kind of wish, and I th I'm thinking doing some self-reflection, I'm like, why can't we just do this on our own? Like, why do you have to get hit by a tree, you know, to to have this these aha moments and these light bulbs going off? And you said you don't, you don't have to get hit by a tree, but I feel like there's some people in my life that probably need to get hit by a tree. And I, I don't wish that upon them, obviously, but, you know, they need this kind of a wake up call and they need some of this really good, really good information. Just, just to, almost like a reset, you know, as to how they look at life. My husband called it my do over actually, to be fair, he called it his do over because I want to share with you. Okay. This is a little secret. We can't yeah. tell the entire world, but we'll tell all your audience. <laughs> One of the things that also happened is all the irritants of my life were literally knocked out of me. Mm. So I don't know about you, but you know, for me, when we first got married, the socks on the floor were cute. <laughs> By the end of the first year, the socks on the floor were not so cute anymore, right? So, I don't know. I don't uh, know anything about socks on the floor. <laughs> I can imagine you don't. I also can't imagine that you've forgotten a birthday or an anniversary uh, or Valentine's Day or anything uh, never, like that, that that anybody might be holding on to for <laughs> decades afterwards and reminding you about. Well, the greatness for my husband is everything that I had remembered and held on to was gone. Yeah. So he got a do-over as they <laughs> came back. And I will tell you, most of my male friends ask me, 
how can you do, how can you teach my <laughs> wife to do that? And I'm like, I yeah. really can't, I really can't teach them. But the truth of the matter is I figured out that you can, yeah. and here's how you have a choice at how you respond to that thought that you're having. Yeah. Just like the thought used to be, oh my gosh, the socks on the floor, how cute he's here with <laughs> me. And then it became, oh my gosh, the socks on the floor, he's leaving a mess for me. You have a choice of saying, you know what? Gosh, there's socks on the floor. I'm so glad he's here. Yeah. And it changes how you feel about it. You have an ability to redirect those thoughts into feelings and feelings into actions so that you don't end up strangling somebody with a pair of socks. Not that <laughs> I'm saying or advocating anybody would do that. But Again, the choice is there. So when adversity hits, I believe in one thing. I believe that you have four options yeah. or simple options when adversity hits because adversity is going to hit. And sometimes that adversity is actually about something really good. Mm. Like you can be stuck in adversity about, do I take this next job and make a move? And it's scary. And that can feel like adversity, even if it's good stuff. So there's four things you can do. You can let it destroy you. Adversity can destroy. Yeah. I was physically destroyed when I started physically destroyed. Mm -hmm. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I didn't do anything to be destroyed. And I had to give myself time and space to heal. But once I was healed enough, I had to decide or I had to understand if it would define me so mm. it can destroy you or it can define you. Yeah. I took on the label of somebody with a TBI, traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. The doctors labeled me with that. Everybody around me said that. People told me how horrible I was and how horrific it was. And they tried to woe me to death. Mm. And the reality of it was, I then let it define me. Oh my gosh, I can't do that. I have a traumatic brain injury. I actually almost did not go get a certification after I was healing because, you know, gosh, will I be able to actually pass that testing? Because yeah. I have a traumatic brain injury. And I like jerked my head around and went, what are you doing? You are <laughs> defining yourself as this. You just did these 15 things that are like extraordinary. How could you even let that be your definition? Yeah. And so I actually have been a coach for 30 years, actually almost 35. Do not add up my age. Okay. <laughs> but almost 35 years, I've been a coach. So I self-coach myself. And I was like, Hey, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? So I, I it can destroy you. It can define you. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I made a decision. And that's one of the things that you can do in adversity is make a decision. Because if you just stay put, no decision is a decision. You can't stay put. You yeah. have to decide to do something. Yeah. So I decided to do something. And I decided to try to figure out. And you heard me just say the word try, right? Yeah. I'm trying. I decided to try to figure out what I could do besides those two things, besides letting it destroy me or define me. Yeah. And I picked what I decided would be, and I've never looked back yeah. and it's never stopped me. And that's the other D you can choose to let it develop you. Mm. I became the biggest learner you have ever met. I ask childlike questions 
I've asked more questions than a two-year-old does mm. of why, 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 why the curiosity, the questioning, the thoughts. Yeah. When you hit that hard spot, my wish for all of your listeners is that, and it's not a matter of if you hit it, it's when you hit mm-hmm. it. We all go through something. When you hit it, you choose to let it develop you. Mm. Mine developed into a book, a coaching program, courses I do, coaching I do with individuals. So much it developed into when really in that moment, when it first happened, when I had an awareness of how bad I had become, I thought my life had been ended by it. And the reality is my life just began when that happened. So adversity is going to hit us. Make sure that you lean on that last D and let it develop you and use it for what it's meant for to inspire others to get through their hard times as well. Such an amazing story. You shared so much with us. I have a page full of notes. I ran out of room because I think this is all really good stuff and, and helpful to me, helpful to the listeners. So I thank you so much for, for being with us. How can people find out more about you, about your book? So they can find me. Um, I have two sides to me. I have my coaching side, which is successcoachingsolutions.com, Tina Brando. And I also have my book that you can find at Live Standing Strong. And I want to tell your listeners why it's called Standing Strong. Standing Strong, the real life story of overcoming adversity and becoming unstoppable in life and business. That's the full name of my book. It is a number one bestseller too, because I don't mind being a little bit bragging about <laughs> that work that went into that. It took a lot to get that book hey, together. I give it took you, 15 years of hey, hard work. You own that. That's, that's I amazing. I own that. <laughs> but here's why it's called Standing Strong. And I've, been, I've had multiple people tell me to change the name of it. And I absolutely vehemently refuse yeah. because for the longest time, for a while after I had been hurt, I couldn't stand on my own. When I would stand, I literally would collapse. I couldn't hold my weight. My my legs would not work together with my arms. It just I could not stand on my own and stand steady gait. Mm-hmm. One day I reached a point that I stood and my husband said, are you okay? Do you need me? And he's standing right next to me, ready to catch me. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, he gets the husband of, the, of a lifetime award for all he went through. He yeah. truly does. But he stood right there next to me and I was functioning like a three-year-old. And I said the words that I could say that time. And there was three simple words. I stand strong. Mm. So when this book was named, I knew with every fiber in my being that needed to be the name of this book. I have a feeling... Some people needed to hear that today. So I appreciate everything that you share with us. Very inspirational. I've got chills. <laughs> I appreciate it so much. It's such a great story. I cannot wait to read your book. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks for being vulnerable and just sharing your story and keep doing what you're doing. Well, my goal is to inspire a million and I am truly humbled and honored that I inspired one more today with you. And I can't wait till your listeners get to hear this drop and they get to be inspired by it as well. I love to hear the stories from people who actually read the book. Please, my contact is inside the book. Share your stories with me. That lights me up and keeps me going more than you can possibly imagine. And thank you again for having me on today. You have just listened to the All In Your Head podcast. 
Learn more by following Jamie Glick on LinkedIn or by subscribing to the Mental Health Training Camp YouTube channel. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, you can call now or text 988 to get connected to free confidential support. Thanks for listening.